Does it? He kicked about three pounds of haggis that time because it hardly got off the ground. Three pounds of haggis. 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 Three pounds of haggis because it hardly got off the ground. Moyen, Scott Brown here from Let's Talk Sport. Unfortunately, Nathan is not here this evening. His wonderful wife has given birth to their little girl, so congratulations to them. I am joined this evening by none other than the king of OK Guys, John Flynn, and um, also luckily, uh, to, uh, sorry, lucky to be joined by none other than James Kent. James, you're a bit of a regular on the show these days. You know, I don't know why you're wearing a hat, because there's no sun in here, boss. Oh, mate, I <laughs> You know, I have no answer to that. I'm not going to lie. Bad haircut, is it? Something like that. John, you've just gone for a bit of hair gel yourself, have you? Yeah, brought up Scott. Otherwise, it'd be out to out to here, you know. So yeah, I hear. Tight. Obviously, I've got these two, uh, two well, two of my former coaches and and, and friends. Uh, awkward now, we're only messing. Um, and it is going to be full noise on the rugby front, rugby World Cup, and we'll also see what these two are currently up to in terms of their. Uh, coaching careers at the moment before we kick things off this is show 132 and it is the 24th of september if you want to get involved with the show you can uh, pop to whatsapp on 6215252000 um where do we start boys do you want to start with the south africa island game would that be a fair one how good how good well as a as a proper rugby noise it was a, it's a bit cliche to say a proper test match but it was it was two well the two best teams in the world knocking lumps out of each other wasn't it i think best Best game by far, this this tournament, without a doubt for me. Best refereeing, you know, uh, two teams like the intensity, like the intent and the collisions. Just I find it hard to see other teams trying to compete like that so far this World Cup. What about yourself, John? Uh, I think James used the word intensity. That's that's probably the right word for me. Um, I think it, there was a bit of a, a little bit of a step up in intensity. Even if we look at um, the opener, France against New Zealand, you know, I think there was this was a, again a, a little bit of an uplift from that. Um, quality was good as well. Um, Ireland trying to play their game, South Africa trying to play their game, um, and yeah, I, I kind of predicted it would be a, a tight one with Ireland edging it, and that that was what happened. But it, it could easily have gone the other way. South Africa obviously left some points on the pitch with, uh, with regards goal kicking options and stuff, but. Really, really good game, and I don't think we've seen the last of South Africa. I think they'll be back, um, having an influence on the on the tournament. Certainly in the later stages. I mean, it's well. not beyond the realms of possibility that we could see those two teams meet again. I mean, when you um, look at the, the final, they've got as well. They've they've got Billy Larue. They've got Andre Pollard, who obviously mm. can kick goals. Yep. They've got a, you know guys and who are just waiting, waiting there. Mapimpi. There's a ton of guys who, who can still come back, and you know they they went for that seven one split, but. Like if they could easily have gone a four four and still made some. Uh, Wonder I was I was uh, listening to Sam Warburton talk about it after the game and he was saying, you know, of course they want to win every game, but it's almost like they were quite content to run the risk of playing the guy, you know, Dion Fury as the as the backup hooker. But 
let's say it's, it's, it's not like he hadn't played the position before. Like, yes, he hasn't played there in a couple of years, but he does have a lot of experience. Yes, not at international level, but it's not like asking uh, your scrum after throwing at the line out or uh, or something like that. And or an open side flanker. Yeah, line yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but um, I mean, um, it's it, it was uh, it, they've obviously tried something, and you know, it, it it hasn't come off this time around. They've obviously gone for the heavy, the heavily forward uh, forward. Um, Influence on the bench. Actually, interestingly, have you heard um, your boy Matt Williams? He's over in Ireland. He's been going pretty hard. Used to mm. coach. He's going pretty hard about this um, about this seven this seven one split, saying you shouldn't be allowed to do it. And it's like, uh, I think it's a load of BS. To be honest, I think you you should do whatever the hell you want because ultimately, you know, now we're learning that actually, yes, you want your best fifteen players on the pitch, but should they be on at the start or should they be on? I was saying, you know, on at the end the other day. The Canada women actually used the seven-one split in the World Cup last year in New Zealand, so it's nothing new to rugby. And plenty of clubs have done it, plenty of teams have done it. I think it's just because it's the context of the game, context of the teams that are doing it, that it's raised that much interest. And obviously, with the you know social media around it, what surprised me though, seven-one, oh, yeah, seven-one bench, yet their kicking game was far less of a weapon than what they'd used before. They're 16 kicks. Do you know? So you're thinking that you're going to play more of that kick game, forward-dominated game, but only 16 kicks. It's, uh, for me, it was surprising. Like It's almost like you're picking a team to play a certain way, but they're not playing how that team's almost set up and complemented to play, isn't it? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I think, regards the 7-1, um, Matt Williams, as you say, he's been a wee bit contrary and intentionally, I think. He's trying to raise a little bit of controversy. Um, some of his, co- his comments about his time with Scotland are quite quite funny, actually. He's, he, he likes to talk about that as well. Um, when I don't think Scotland won when he was coached. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Yeah, we were pretty diabolical. But um, he... He, he he's raised that point a couple of times, and actually, you know, as James and I were talking about, he's we we even nearly did it one game with Luxembourg just just through necessity. So it's not really that big a deal. But I think one of the, the observations about it's quite interesting is Ireland with a four three split on the bench won the game. You know, they prevailed with probably a slightly smaller pack across the board as well. But they matched up physically. There, some other guys played really big minutes. Um, but they're, you know, they're obviously Ireland are a team who are extremely confident in their abilities. You know, you can see it. There's a couple of guys have not played yet, which suggests to me I don't think that Andy Farrell's taking players to the tournament not to play them. So it makes me think that he'll he's quite happy to give them a run against Scotland. And if he's going to do that, that makes me think that he was very, very confident of winning last night against against um, South Africa. So I think with Ireland, we're seeing a team now that is. Um, Let's say I want to say a little bit different to previous Ireland teams. They've got more of a robustness about them and 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 more of a confidence in their own ability that they. I think they believe that on their day they can they can handle anybody. I think nobody would uh, would disagree with that. I mean, putting our coaching hats on, it'd be quite interesting to see what Farrell's doing because obviously you know you Ireland had this boost probably. I guess eight years ago where Joe Schmidt sort of came in and tinkered with a few bits, you know, brought that real technical fine detail to the way they play and stuff. And then that sort of ran out of steam, didn't it? Farrell's come in and just, yeah, he's taken them to a new level. I mean, have you heard what it's like, what what the training sessions are like? Because you talk about confidence, but confidence obviously comes from being able to handle, 
you know, pressure. So like they'll take great confidence from from winning last night. But we, we spoke just before we come on. Hey, you know, they both of those teams who are the two best teams in the world could feel the heat. You know, the lineouts for both of them were a bit shaky and like it's unheard of for line you know, Ireland or South Africa to lose lineouts, you know, but they were both really, really going after each other, weren't it's, they? It's generally what makes the best teams the best teams is their error count. Do you know? And so the beginning of the game when Ireland was struggling with the line out, I think they lost five five in a row. I think it was five, it might have been four, but yeah. Four, six, right. six in the whole game, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Four yeah. or five in the first. And what, just to jump in there, what's funny is I remember the last time that probably happened was actually against Scotland. And I think that's before the Lions went on tour and it cost ultimately cost someone like Rory Best, you know, mm-hmm. a chance of play, playing in the test yeah. team because... I mean, it's always um, unfortunately with the with the line out the uh, the hookers the one that a lot of the time gets the book thrown at him. But actually, sorry, just to digress a little bit, but it was quite interesting having Ben Kay um, commentating on some of the um, on the Chile game, the England game, and Chile's line out obviously didn't work, but him being a you know a line out nose is quite able to pick up being like yeah that's the back lifter you know the throw's good but and but to the to the untrained eye or to the you know to the the uneducated I guess when it comes to it there's a lot more than just the hooker yeah throwing a bad nut you know 100% and the hooker gets the blame as you say i mean ireland for example i noticed last night early in the game they tried to put pressure on south africa um at, at line out time oman he was trying to mirror their front jumper but south africa were realised this was coming and then they, all they were concentrating on was getting Elizabeth in the air really, really quickly, um, which which basically counteracted Ireland's, Ireland's defensive manoeuvring. And that's a kind of safe option that they went for and it, and it obviously worked. Where South Africa started to struggle was when they when they lost the two crucial ones. I think they only I think they only lost two. There was 60, 67% Ireland, like compared yeah. to 80% success rate and for South Africa so, so how many does South Africa only lost two in the game I think or late on there was a stat flashed up that there was, they, they lost two yeah. but it was two very important ones as well you know really really important ones which obviously kind of magnifies the situation about oh, it makes it look worse yeah yeah no I think like, going back to how South Africa play they will, they'll grind a team down so they'll be waiting for those kind of mistakes to come they'll just keep trying to bang that front door down and with pressure come comes mistakes where there's the line out you know a missed kick missed kick at goal uh, kick on the full drop ball and then from there like you see they, they can, they're capable of scoring within a phase from that mistake within two phases um, the opening five eight minutes was unbelievable the the speed of it uh, the quality I think um, but again we, we, we talk about you know wanting to have high ball in play for a spectacle you know, World Rugby want to try and push that as well. But, you know, it was quite the opposite yesterday. It was quite low compared to some of the games we've seen. So, yeah. I think... Uh, Probably quite quite happy to take a, take a bit of a breath and, and, and get the uh, get the oxygen in. It, it's funny you talk about the start of the game because these days it does take teams a bit of time to get into it. And when you talk about fast-paced game, the one that really sticks in my mind was when... Do you remember when Leinster... Um, played Northampton Saints in the European Cup final. Yeah, okay. go, go on and watch that. Go and watch the first seven, eight minutes of that. And that is like watching two test teams knock yeah. them. And it's, it's to the stage where you're bang, bang, and you're like, mate, we ain't getting through. You know, hoof it down the park and let's let's go after him. But if you ever want to see a, a hectic start to a, 
you know, to a top level uh, rugby match, that's certainly up there, that one. Stephen Myler against Johnny Sexton, I think, were the two. Yeah. Teams, yeah. That's where Northampton were winning by like 25. I don't know. They were up by loads at half. Like, I think it could have even been like 27, 28, 3 at half time. Yeah. But they had that big, that big, massive front five. Majati, Dylan Hartley, yeah. Suyoni Tongawea, Sammy Manoa, Courtney Laws. That was the front five. It didn't matter who you had on the back row, you know, when you've got those lot. Mm. But they played a lot of rugby and just ran out of, they just ran out of puff, didn't they? Mm. Um, yeah, rugby noises, isn't we? We just love it. We just absolutely love it. Um, in terms of, um, were there any any flash points, any any key talking points from the from the South Africa Island game? Um, when we spoke before we came on. I thought the referee's always going to cop it. Um, I thought he had a decent game. The call at the end, I mean, he, they were told to use it and they didn't use it, you know. So I've had it happen before, you know, if the ref tells you to, to hurry up and you don't do it, you'll get, you'll get pinged for it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said to you when we were chatting before the game, I felt that was also very good mall defence or line-out defence from Ireland. They really worked very, very hard to get uh, South Africans more moving towards the sideline and probably effectively drove it to floor. Just, um, just to go into a bit of detail, John, because obviously I'm a back. James is a back. Yeah. You know, tell us more about this. You know, when you're talking about this mall defence, like yeah. surely it's just hit it as hard as you can and push, isn't it? Well, they came in on a bit of an angle as well. They looked like they'd given. I mean, they looked like they gave South Africa a little bit of an option at the front of that line out, and then they, they they came in. They hit it on an angle, and it seemed like to me like they almost drove it towards the floor. You know, like drove drove them all downwards. Or, prevented South Africa from keeping it up. And I think that's what the referee saw anyway, because as it went to floor, he had no he had no intention of giving a penalty for it, you know? Um, so that was... Because South Africa's mall was moving towards the, the goal line quite steadily, and I thought, oh, Ireland could be in trouble here. But the, you could see that the sheer effort they were putting in. So there is an element of hit it as hard as you can and pump the legs, there's no doubt. But they were they were quite smart about how they did it as well. You know, they'd be looking to... And, I mean, yeah, to get, if you want to get a bit technical around it, there's there's ways you do it. I, I'd like to try and what I call hit the back seam, which is to try and crack that back lifter off um, off the jumper. So as he, as he comes down, try and hit the gap. Between. He traditionally tries to lock in, yeah, doesn't exactly. he? Yeah, so exactly. So try and hit the... Crack that seam... To stop them setting like a front three, effectively use it with the jumper and the two lifters. Um, that that's quite a big one for me. And then, what, similarly on the other side, when you when you've got the ball, I'm trying to get my back lifter to take the space to step across and get get his hips into the way a little bit. You see, you see some teams really blocking off the. The, the defence by putting a man almost between the the jumper and the and the opposition as he, as the jumper comes down but that you know that's illegal in that it, it's preventing a fair contest so some referees will pull you up for it and some referees will let it slide but um yeah I mean rugby knows as you say I, <laughs> I think, I think this all day so. point on point on the referee one refreshing element was, was I don't think there was any cards. Do you know? So I, think I don't think there be, weren't any weren't any bad shots or anything I can no. think of. So, I don't think so. I think we had limited TMO uh, input. Do you know? Which mm. gave the impression, though, low ball in play, that the game actually carried on a bit faster. Um, and I think the fact that we didn't have cards, you know, kept it fairly balanced the whole way through. There was with both those teams; they can play when they've got that man advantage they know exactly how to play mm-hmm. how to export the space how to you know get one up and make those 10 minutes count mm-hmm. um so i think by not having any cards i think that it, it's a detail but i think it's played a massive role into to making that game you know look good so just to just to elaborate a little bit on on something i sort of asked john a second ago when you're 
you obviously get that confidence. You get confidence from playing. Of course, you do playing at a high intensity and, and, and being successful. But how do you replicate that in training? Because ultimately, training is never going to replicate what it's like in a match, you know, because you can be as switched on and as fired up as you want, but there's no... Ultimately, there's no outcome. You know, if you get it wrong, it's a, it's a slap on the wrist and you go again. So how would you, James, as a coach, how would you try and replicate that intensity in a game? You do, well, to replicate the intensity, you're, you're looking at the S&Cs to, to tell you exactly what kind of load, especially nowadays, everything is dictated by them, how many metres per minute they can run, uh, how many total metres they can have to get in a session. So it's hard to do, but by trying to create... I suppose more fatigue in a quick shorter amount of time and then creating scenario based training where you could say two minutes to two minutes last two minutes of the game you're down four points need to score that try or the opposite maybe there you're down two points or you have to defend the lead or you're playing 14 against 15 or you're playing a man extra so there's a few scenario based trainings you can do and to try and replicate those high speeds is by using elements of the game like the kickoff, goal line dropout, where you force your players, you force your big boys to have a sprint over a long distance, a 30 metre, 40 metre sprint to get set and then try and defend multiple phase from that. Um, by doing that, you're trying to emulate and try and hopefully recreate some of those numbers that you get in the game. Yeah, and, and so, so that they're able to execute yeah. under fatigue as well. Be- bearing in mind, if, you're got, if you've got a game which is 30-minute board and play, 35-minute board and play, that you could re, you could pretty much find that in training over an hour and a half. It's just in a game, obviously, you've got those external factors, referee, crowd, weather might come into play. But as far as recreating maybe 25, 35 minutes board and play, you can do that. It's quite interesting. John, just, um, and I mean this with the greatest amount of respect in the world, when you compare it to, uh, so, you know, like, let's, let's say James, obviously, up at Stad and yourself, if you if you rewind back to when you're, when you're coaching Alcabendos last year, you know your 22 players aren't, you know, some of them are maybe on the bench because you don't have an option. So when you're, you know, in those tight games, it's almost like, right you know James is tired if James is in the centre and he's tired on another day if I had a person to bring on we'll change him but we're not going to take him off because the guy I'm bringing on you know isn't going to be at the same level yes he might have the energy there but his skill level his influence his presence you know did you ever consider that sort of thing when you're when you're making substitutions and stuff like that yeah absolutely Scott Um, you know there's if you're sort of kind of semi-professional level there's there tends to be a less of a homogenous kind of look across the group. You may be relying a lot on, um, your bench might be a lot of younger players, maybe guys who've come through the academy or uh, and are sort of making their way. Um, and, you know, if it's a tight game, then that will influence your influence your, your choices, um, experience, ability to be to compete physically at that level, things like that. As, I mean, obviously, one of the ways you can try to counteract that is to get guys up to speed is to give them to give them the opportunity to play whenever you can. So get them off the bench, uh, you know, don't leave them sitting there if 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 realistically you think you're in control of the game. Let let's get them on and, and try and get the, get them some minutes. Um, I mean as as a coach, you do you ever think, yeah, we're done here. You know, you know you're not you know, of course you want to keep your team battling for 80 minutes and and but let's say it's, it's some days there's it's just not on the races, so it's a case of just empty that bench. 
and and get but get these young lads on and and, and give them a run. Yeah, I mean, I I can't tell you about last year because we didn't lose a game, but uh, previously, for example, with Luxembourg, yeah, without a doubt, you would look to use it as an, a sort of learning opportunity a lot of the time, and, and let's get guys some some minutes or or maybe um let's. Tr- give a player an opportunity to get experience in another position that he might play or that you might need him in in the future, things like that, without without any doubt. I mean, I think, just as a general comment, rugby, a lot of people, maybe your listeners, etc., r- r- won't be aware exactly that rugby kind of differs from other sports in that there's such specific positional requirements. It's not like, say, a basketball where you can ask someone to, to play an attack that day or something. And so trying to get guys experience in positions that they might be able to double up in can be something that's quite, um, really quite useful for the, for the group as a whole. Yeah. No, I think there's, there's three things that, that can affect the performance, the team's performance. You've got, first off, your recruitment. So it depends whether, you know, you call semi-professional, amateur, professional, you do have the means sometimes even an amateur club to find some people and sometimes it's active recruitment sometimes it's passive and it guys just turn up to the club then you've got your training throughout the week and then lastly you've got selection so you need to tick those three boxes to be able to get a good performance and if your performance then doesn't happen and you are getting pumped then maybe your selection is taking that into consideration because you've given a crack to some of those younger guys with those less experienced guys um, but I suppose yeah to I agree with John, like you, you you want them to try and gain something from it and I think you want them to have an opportunity to prove themselves if they want to try and compete with another player. It's looking looking at the bigger picture at the end of the day, isn't it? If you, if you can, look, everyone wants to play their best team and win every match, but unfortunately, you know, there, there, there's got to be some sort of compromise because at some point, Scotland have just scored again, 69 minutes gone, it's 36-17 to, uh, to, breathe, to breathe Scotland. Easy now. Yeah, yeah, they breathe should be easy. all right. Team up for Ireland in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but again, one one other thing that I, I find very, very interesting is, and this more looks at like the amateur game, and I don't know if you've come across it, James, and you've been up at Stad, but do you ever find guys who are, look, you want, you want training to be, um, I don't want to say serious, you want training to be beneficial. You want your, your team to benefit of it and your team to improve and hopefully then be able to implement that, you know, at some point throughout the season, if not on the, the following Saturday. But you have guys who are crap trainers, you know, who aren't, you know, maybe don't push the numbers in, maybe don't give that, you know, or off that they don't care about training or, or, or anything like that. But, you know... You know, oh yeah, uh, the old, it's a bit cliche to say it, but oh yeah, I'll do it on the night. And they do do it on the night. You know, when you get them playing there, you know, I think George Smith was a great example of it back in the day, you know, trained hard, but, you know, didn't have the greatest numbers in the world. But you put them on a rugby pitch and there was, you know, it was unstoppable. Do you have guys like that at, at Stad? You sort of, I mean, that comes to knowing your players a lot more in terms of their You've psyche and their background got, and stuff. You know, you're good trainers and you're you know, probably train like Tarzan, play like Jane. We've had a couple of them, haven't we, John? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, there's there's always those guys who are more willing to put their, you know, set the standards. But I suppose that comes back down to the environment that you've created. If if the players themselves hold themselves to account accountability, where they have to train hard, then that expectation is, you know, what you what you set it. So, I think again, it comes from mainly the players. And there might be some older players who, or players who've got recurrent soft tissue injuries, who maybe that load isn't going to be the same, so they can't train at the same intensity and the same volume as the others. Um, 
So there's an exception to every rule, and I think that's part of it. You'll probably agree, John, that every player, though we like to say, you know, everyone should be the same, every player has to be coached and approached differently. Is different strokes for different folks uh, when it comes to coaching. And I think that's the, the world-class coaches, that's what they really do well. You know, they can get the best out of each individual player, even the guys who probably won't want to train as hard. But when we talk about international level, or especially international levels, even the difference between top 14 level, like those guys, they want to be there because they know there's a hundred other guys that want to be in their position. So yeah. every training session, when I was with France, there were no poor trainers because those guys want to be there. They give anything because they know that if they have a poor week, they're not getting invited back. Yeah. And stud clubs, different standard, but at the same time professional, they still have to try and perform week after week, but it's a it's a grueling season. It's a marathon, so it can be hard to get up every session. I mean, we're not going to just nause it about our own experience and stuff, but it's just very personally very interesting to hear on your sort of take on it because I think it's something, certainly, not necessarily the pro coaches, but those guys who are coaching at whatever level that might be, I think that's an important part of it. You often hear it's a bit cliche to say with these older coaches who have, I guess, finished playing and gone into roles and there might be screamers and shouters and you'll often hear them say, oh, he's a crap, he's a poor man manager, he can't manage his players and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, the, don't get me wrong, the hairdryer treatment works, but it doesn't work every time. You know, you've got to be able to adapt, as you say, adapt different, different, what was it, different strokes for different blokes. For different folks. Folks, blokes, yeah. I think one little observation around that is there's, you know, you started to touch on it, James, there, that there's, a, there's obviously a difference between professional down to through semi-professional to amateur level. And uh, professional coaches, to be fair to them, you know, they're so graded on results that they possibly can do what you said, Scott, and, and allow, uh, let's say, a bad trainer or a poorer trainer to play. At amateur level, you know, where you're club level, let's say, where you're not um, you're not being judged solely on results, you know, you're you're looking after the, the guys in the group. You know, it can be advantageous to reward, for example, I find reward guys who train well, even if they're maybe not such good players. And it might hurt what you touched on, the performance of the team. But uh, I think that if you, with, with, at amateur level, you should be looking a little bit longer term. You know, you're looking to build something. You're looking to help the club. You're looking to help the guys get to where they want to get to. And you're not being judged as harshly on results as you would be in the pro game where, you know, if, if Stade Francais lose three or four games on the bounce, then... You're looking over your yeah, shoulders. Yeah, coaches thing, are looking over their shoulders. So, you know, I think that's that's the kind of crucial difference and it maybe allows you a little bit more flexibility when you're more in the community game to be able to try and create and build something by encouraging the, the guys who might not be the best players, but if they do train well, let's include them and then culture, the culture slowly changes as a result of that. I mean, James. You uh, again. We will talk about the other, um, uh, the other, the results from the from the Rugby World Cup, and obviously there's a women's uh, result that took place this weekend as well. But how do you find it when you're because you're you're a rarity in the sense that you've been able to crack and 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 get into that professional game? Because I know lots of good coaches who are sort of you know, sat in waiting or coaching at a lower level. And, and this isn't, don't, you know, I'm just saying this how it is, but, you know, what you've done is amazing. But you, as I said before, you've been hustling away and, and plying your trade and, and all this sort of thing. But but it almost seems like that professional 
rugby game is almost like an old boys thing and they would sooner take on an old former pro player to coach than actually take a punt on somebody who's maybe turning heads lower down the league or, you know, for whatever reason. I mean, it's more common in football now that you hear these guys, there's a brilliant guy, the the Belgian guy, you know, who's mm-hmm. obviously French-English and stuff and listening to Belgian him. Belgian-English, yeah. You know, we, we've spoken about him on the shore, but what a story, you know, the fact that he came in, he, he you know, and he talks about when he sat in the changing room, he was like, we are crap, okay? What are we going to do about this? And and then you get the team, you know, you get that energy, you go on a run, you're doing well. And then they're obviously, you know, coaching at the top level, but they're, they're getting fined 25,000 euros a game for him to be head coach because he on paper isn't qualified to... Doesn't have the license. To, yeah, the license to coach at that level. I think it it's interesting because now you're seeing a lot of young coaches or younger coaches come through in different sports, NFL being a, and a big example as well. I think, you know, I don't know, they've probably got five, six guys under 40 coaching an NFL team, mm. which is unbelievable. You know, 15 years ago would have been unheard of. Mm-hmm. And I think the players, if they they know your, they know whether you've played at that standard or not, do you know? And I think... Do you think that makes a difference? I think it makes a difference if you try to hide away from it or, you know, pretend that you, you know it all because from a technical perspective, obviously you know, there's guys who have been there, done that, who probably have the technical expertise that you may not or that you're going to accumulate along the way. But I think if you're open with that, the players see through it straight away. So I think if you're able to, a bit like your your man said, if you're yourself, then there's nothing for them to to resent. You've already addressed the elephant in the room, and this guy's he's not played at the same level that we're playing at. But I think if you're there, then you must be there for a reason in their eyes. Do you know? So there's already that sort of understanding and that um, okay, well he must have some idea, otherwise he wouldn't be here. He might he's sat in this room with us. So until you start obviously winning solves a lot of things at that level. Because if you start losing, then it's very quick to change. But if you pull a few wings together, then I don't think it makes a difference. No. I mean, I just give the example of like you know in the well, let's say it is a shambles. You look at all the teams that have gone under in the Premiership this in over the last sort of eighteen months and stuff like that. But they look at guys who are in the Championship, and like the only way to beat go very difficult to go from the Championship up to the Premiership unless you're heavily invested in that that club. You know, the, probably the only place it's happened is ex Chiefs, really, isn't it? With Rob Baxter, and he's been there, you know, since the beginning of time, and so he's, you know, naturally, naturally progressed through. But it's almost like, you know, how, how many, how often do you hear, mate? Did you hear the one about Eddie Jones? Have you had this story that's come out now that he was apparently he's already had conversations with Japan, yeah, about going out there, like he's just signed a five-year deal with the Wallabies, and it's but like I think a lot of that from what I've heard is it's almost the, it's a play on the, on the media. So for example, if John is looking for a gig or looking to hold on to a current gig, he might slide something to his agent to put something out. I've been approached by X, Y, and Z when he hasn't, but he's denied it. So he's like, he denies that he's interested in Japan because what does that do? It raises your stock price. Yeah. It shows that you're valuable. You're a valuable commodity, which is what a lot of coaches, especially the top end coaches, who 
you know, are capable of commanding millions, they tend to do to try and top up their salary a little bit as well or try and keep their hands on the job. So by, de- by denying that you've been in communication with a certain team or club, that raises your, sta- raises your stock. Very interesting, John. What do you what do you what do you reckon to that? The next, I mean, I've all, I'm, I, he, he must be doing something right. You can't be that bad a coach, you know. Obviously, he, the fact, I mean, you don't pick a bad team for the sake of doing it, do you? You want to win all your games and stuff. And he's obviously gone with youth with this World Cup, which which would, you know, Im- imply that he wants to be with this team after the World Cup, and then you know he gets four or five years with these players, you know, to well four years to move on to the to the next big one. Yeah, I, I think he's anything but a bad coach. I mean, he showed that in his time with, with England and, and everything else he's done in the game and, and Japan in the previous World Cup. I mean, he, the guy's a, an absolute top performing coach. He, my understanding is that he, he kind of bucks the trend and that he's he's very dictatorial. He's very, um, yeah, he's very much sort of tell type of coach, um, which, we, you know, you touched on earlier, Scott, is less and less the case now in, in, the, in, in any sport. Um, but no, I mean he's an he's an absolute high performer, and uh, he knows he he was, he's been absolutely clear. He, he's he's used youth. He's also used players from Europe, which I think has helped the the Australians. You know, he's 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 realised. Um, it's only my opinion, but I think he's realised that Super Rugby doesn't necessarily is not necessarily the best preparation for. Um, international games against European opposition nowadays. So he's gone to Europe where, and he's brought in the Skeltons, the Arnolds, guys who are playing in the top 14 at a high level in France, week in, week out, playing European Cup rugby. And and I think, you know, he, he, Eddie Jones knows this is this is, this is is what he, he's going to build the Wallabies on, is a, a core of these guys and some, some really talented Australian, Austra- younger Australian players, possibly guys from rugby league, possibly guys who've come through Super Rugby academies, possibly Fijian players who are, who are you know coming into Australia. He I, he's got a, a good talent pool there, and I think um, yeah, I, I think Australia's you know these World Cup uh, rugby is very fine margins, and Australia have lost one game. I, you know, I, I wouldn't write them off just yet. The question think, is, yeah. do they win tonight? Yeah, I think they do. I think so. Yeah, I yeah. think so. I really do. I mean, I th- Wales beat them by four points 2019. So I think they've played seven times in World Cup history. Australia won five, but the last World Cup game in 2019 was was taken by Wales. I mean, it puts points. the cat amongst the pigeons for that pool, doesn't it? I was actually, speaking of, look, we'll get on to the other results, but I was surprised to see Georgia uh, draw with um, with Portugal. I mean, I was hoping Georgia would turn some real... Uh, Real heads, John, about that. Yeah, I was very disappointed. James and I were chatting about that yesterday, actually, and I, I caught the highlights later on, had a look at them, and I was really, really disappointed. So Georgia have beaten two Six Nations sides in the last year, they've beaten Italy and they've beaten Wales, and I think they'll be really, really disappointed with that with that uh, that result. They, def- they defended really poorly, actually. Uh, look at a couple of the tries... They they really did leave gaps. They were slow to react on defence. They were slow to move across and close holes. They overchased a couple of times. They, they their hips were turned. I think defensively they had they had a really really bad day at the office. Now that's taking nothing away from Portugal, who you know it's almost a final for those guys. They've had a they've had a phenomenal performance. They scored a couple of really good attacking tries. But given where Georgia have been over the last year, given that the Georgia's under-20 side are now very, very good and very competitive against the big nations, I think uh, the Georgians will see that as a huge opportunity missed. 
I think Portugal as well, they played Georgia on a yearly basis and I think they had a very good understanding of what to expect. And I think they probably just had them sussed out. I think they were outcoached. I think it was as simple as that. I think they were outcoached by the Portuguese and that showed like a fair play because Georgia were up for 50 minutes, weren't they? So, With the, uh, I mean, one of the big... I guess the big talking points is we're not seeing absolute hiding. Yeah, Namibia took 96, but you talk, you know, you go back 20 years ago, we're sort of seeing 104, 820 points, you know, 100 nils and stuff like that. It is a lot more competitive um, in this in this second tier, but is it still a massive jump up to tier one? I mean, it cracks me up. Obviously, let's talk about England pumping chili, and you know, listening to Clive Woodward talk about how good the backs look, and it was like. You know, it's like Sunday League stuff. Do you know what I mean? Of course, they're gonna they're pros. They, I'd be worried if they weren't looking. You're not looking sharp out there. But what, what do you what do you, what do you what do you take on that? Do you take any? I mean, you, you take a little bit of confidence from England for them moving forward into it. But do, how much do you do you take from that? You know. Yeah, I think you're just looking for momentum. You just like winning. Winning helps, obviously. You know, you're playing against a team that. Everyone is expecting you to, to win and win comfortably. But everyone thought of that when France were playing Uruguay. So they were expected to beat, beat them by 60. And Uruguay showed up and I think they've, they've, they showed the, the world that they're actually... Uh, well, decent. I would say that's a fair point in Uruguay, you know, pushing France. But let's call it as it is. It wasn't the French. It wasn't the French. Is that you ringing? It's not me. What's that? Me either. Is it? Not that. That's you, mate. That is you. Oh, here we go. That'd be worth it, huh? Uh, Mr. Flynn, we're just ringing up. Can you clear your that's tab? His, from, that's his uh, agent. Uh, I've actually got it on silence. So I don't know how it's sounding. Do you need to turn it off? From Spain, actually. So I'll <laughs> just switch it off. That's, that's his agent there. He's Fingers crossed, he's, huh? He's, They're listening he's, in. He's turned, he's turned, down, he's turned <laughs> down the Japan gig. Yeah. So. Certainly a Spanish number, so we'll see you. In, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I'll post on social media later, later on and let you know how that phone call goes with John. Um... <laughs> Sorry, let's just uh, go back a little bit. But um, you know, with uh, with Uruguay, yes, you know, credit to them. They they caught that French team that I think we're having a bit of a hangover after the, the 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 win against New Zealand. You know, sort of got their their campaign off. But you know, yeah, say it as it is, it was it was a French third team. Do you know what I mean? There were none of the big guns were playing. Speaking of the big guns, what about Dupont getting a whack on uh, against Namibia? Yeah, and Damian Pinot played as well, didn't he? He was he was scoring, wasn't he? Yeah, everyone across the pitch was he probably. I don't know. I didn't watch it, but um, yeah. yeah. In terms of France beating Namibia ninety six nil, obviously the big the, the the main talking point is the you know Dupont. Is that him done, or is he? Uh, will we see him? Apparently he's had surgery. It's surgery, but Remember you talk about Brad Barrett having surgery and playing ten days later. I know, but he was yeah. made of he was made of different stuff, wasn't he? Well, the thing is, he's 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 not an Aaron Smith kind of nine who. You know, we'll just pass from the base and Dupont's very much into the... Getting, getting amongst it sort of thing. It. Even from a defensive standpoint, there's going to be hesitancy there. You come back through, you know, it's... There's mental hurdles to to go through there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. absolutely. I mean, but we talk about, like, there was a one of Harren Ordecky playing with the nose. I also remember Thierry Dussatois playing and Gugodzi was playing them great and he would just pick off the scrum and just run at him and deliberately just try and hand him off in the uh, 
I mean, in, in, in I, the I, face, I, you I know. Wouldn't put that past some of the teams that will come up if he does play. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so uh, we'll have to, we'll have to see. It's uh, he's one of those players, isn't he? You, you can have a good, you can have a player like that in an average team, and he, you know, yes, he'll, he'll have his if his moments, but when that team's on fire, he and he starts firing there, you know, they're as good as anyone, aren't they? Absolutely, I think it's a big loss for the tournament as a whole. I really do. I think you want to see that you want to see these game-breaking players. You know, these as well as not just the best players, but the ones with that sort of X factor who can really influence a game, i.e., guys in key positions. You want to see them. You want to see them playing in the big games. You know, the the, the quarterfinal, semi-finals, because they they can influence who wins the tournament. Um, I think France have possibly um, already struggled a little bit, a little bit, just because. Um, and Tamak's missing as, and I think the, the the value of the two of those guys together is a little bit under underplayed sometimes I think you saw that a little bit in the opener against New Zealand with Jalibert playing instead and um, I think that, that Dupont's absolutely outstanding I think the two of them together really really amplifies yeah, yeah, French performances absolutely um, another one for you Argentina only really squeaking past Samar a bit disappointed with the Argies to be brutally honest I mean yep. let's say it is they were humiliated humiliated by England in that first game um, six months after beating the All Blacks yeah exactly so well, I don't know have they run out of they run out of puff did they need a I mean, we don't know. I mean, it was interesting to hear, though. They've been in camp for a long time, something like three months or something, because they don't, you know, because the, the league the leagues obviously are finished and stuff like that. But yeah, nineteen ten against Samoa. I mean, let's give credit where credit's due. These these perceived two tier two teams are certainly catching up when it comes to uh, you know the pro game and stuff like that. But you would you would st- I would still expect them to beat Samoa by a lot. A lot more than that. Yeah, you know, the, the Samoans have a few ex-All Blacks, you know, Christian Lilafano's playing with them now as well. But yeah, a bit disappointed with the Archies yeah. this time around, especially because they are, like if you look back at every tournament, probably since 2007, they're your, you know, they're the team that are going to turn up and, and turn heads. They all, you know, they, they don't have the superstars. They just have boys who love playing for Argentina, don't they? And they're very much driven on emotion. So, and they've got a very emotionally charged coach in Checker as well so I wouldn't be surprised to see them pick up the performance a little bit like they're capable of turning it on because they've got the players do you know they've got your Nico Sanchez your Marcus Kramers your Pablo Materas Would you think that was a mistake when they played against England was um, playing for uh, you know picking the young the younger guy the Gloucester boy at 10 and not going with Sanchez No I mean hindsight's always easy to you know, to, to to look back on, but I think no, I think I think you you want this. All, it goes back to what we said before. You want to give him a crack. You want to see what he's what he's capable of. Um, and you've got Nico there, and again, maybe that you flip it on its head. And you go, well, you, you want to risk Nico. So yeah, no, that's fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, let's be honest with that pool. It's one of those games. It's like France, New Zealand. Yes, it was a good game to watch, but it was a waste of a game because those two teams are still going to top that group. And it's the same in that England Argentina game. It's they're going to top the group. Who's going to who's going to squeak through as the um, you know as the as the winner or the or the or the runner up? And, and then the last one, obviously, we've got Wales, um, Wales Australia to uh, look forward to this evening. We'll not go too much into this, but James Australia going to win, but by how much? What? By four. By four, John. What about yourself? Yes, maybe three. I think it'll be a very close game. Yeah, 
nervy game, I think. Very close game. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that winger. I can't pronounce his name. What do you call him with the shaggy hair? Marky Mark. Yeah, Mark Nawakanazi. He, he's a, like, it's a freak, you know, in terms of athleticism and stuff. He's a real, real just get him the ball and see uh, and see what he does. Uh, the only other one in terms of making this a rugby, rugby show tonight is uh, England absolutely thumped Canada in the women's 50-24. Um, very interesting. That's the first of a two-match series. Uh, Lewis Deacon is the current head coach. He's taken over from Simon Middleton, who was there for eight years, five consecutive um, five, uh, Six Nations Championships. Who's taken over after the Men's Rugby World Cup? Currently coaching with Japan. Sorry, who's, who's taking over the women's top job? Currently coaching Japan. Jimmy Joseph. No. Oh yes, um, John Mitchell. John Mitchell. Geez, he's done the rounds, hasn't he? Yeah. He's been boot. He got left the RFU, gone to Japan, got a big payback, and now they're having him back. Chiefs as well, wasn't he? Super yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, gents. Been an absolute pleasure. I feel we could have gone on for hours. Yeah, the other one we missed actually was, uh, you know, uh, Uruguay giving. Um, Given Italy a bit of a scare, weren't they? You know, we're up at, up at half time, I believe, and then, uh, yeah, what happened there? Yeah, again, Uruguay, you know, not to be underdone, I think, for me, like it's just the way they play. They they've got guys who are playing top fourteen. Arata at nine, he just he's pulling the strings, and he's he's a class player. He's probably one of the, you'd say top, within easy the top six players in top fourteen. Like unbelievable boot, quick, brave. Yeah. Like, I mean, do you think it's going to get a kick on with a team like Uruguay? We're going to see them playing at Twickenham at Murrayfield in the Autumn International soon enough. You know, is it, are they doing enough to to think, do that? I think they'll get one 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 biggish game, maybe a Scotland or a Wales or something. Um, they'd obviously done their homework on France, for example. Last week, they they, they really limited the way the French could play, uh, so they look like they're very well coached, very well organised. And then again, a bit like James touched on, they play a lot on emotion. Um, and that can carry you a long way in rugby sometimes well gents thank you very much for joining us this evening James is going to sneak out because he doesn't want to miss the anthems for the uh, for the Australia uh, Wales games uh, big big man stay in touch and uh, always a pleasure never a chore gents. Um, John will uh, I want to hear your uh, your your take on the, on the, what's happening in the BGL league I'm joined by none other he's got a Monaco shirt on did you notice that James huh? look at that he's got Monaco rugby top on um, yeah take it easy James Anthony what's been going on in the BGL league this week for us, boss. Ah, BGL. You know what? Let's start with the BGL league, and I'm gonna start with Benny Bresh Fußball Gott. Because last Friday night, last Friday night, one game was played in the BGL league between Mersch and Kersing. Little reminder that Mersch uh, was before this game unbeaten for four games in a row, and Kersing haven't once uh, won before this game. Yeah. At first, Kajang took the lead until the last 20 minutes of the game before Benny Bresch, who is actually in top form, came again to the rescue. A brace, among other things, one goal in the dying minutes, brought Mersch the next three points. Benny Bresch has now scored in his last five games and is the top scorer of the league with seven goals. Good man. I was actually games. in comms with him on uh, Instagram before the weekend and he's teed up to come back on. So Ooh. can't wait to hear how uh, things Mersch obviously had that... Um, well, got promoted last year, but they played in uh, the Lux Cup final um, at the end of last season in front of a full house down at the Stade de Luxembourg. So it's pretty, pretty awesome what they're doing up there. Sorry, Anthony, on you go. Uh, now we've got uh, Diffadange draw for the fir- for the third time in a row after playing 2-2 against Diffadange. who still have problems to show their power they had in the previous seasons. Nevertheless, Diffadange remain uh, the only unbeaten team in the league and are still on top of the table. 
And now, in a very heated game, where Fuller Ash got three red cards and had to play with eight men on the last half hour, it lo it's logically Petanche, who also got one red, who win this game with surprisingly only 2-1. Edis Osmanovic and Tequila were both goal scorers for the home team. I don't know what happened with Fola and with Genki. I have to do with it. sounds like there was a bit of a bagarre as, well, <laughs> as, it, as we like to talk about. I, I read it was like on on sportmanship or like just heavy tackles. I don't know what went through their head. You have like two red, two red cards and you go like, nah, nah. You know what? I'm just going to go yeah, yeah, I'm gonna heavy chop tackle. This guy. Maybe something was said in the tunnel at half time or something, but yeah, on you go, boss. Uh, progress did not stop Strassen's unbeaten run, which lasted five games. The team in black and yellow went 2-0 thanks to Jamun in mixture who both scored in the second half. For Hasbranch, it's getting slowly better as they climb up on the set in the third place of the Bijelic table. Thanks to a late goal from Simois in the last 10 minutes, the Swift managed to defeat Racing with 2-1 who are still in the relegation zone with only 7 points. And then we've got both surprise teams, Schifflers and Monerich. Um Couldn't go over a 2-2 draw. It looked First, like Schifflosch would take the three points home, but El Amrui, Amrui was the hero for Monerich and scored in the last seconds of the game, and both missed the opportunity to climb up on the table. Same for Jeunesse and Mondorf, because it's another game with some drama. The scenario was also kind of similar. Mondorf was leading until additional time before Jeunesse Esch got a penalty and equalized to make it 2-2 in adding time. Here again, it's unsatisfying result for both teams who missed to be in a better rank ranking. And finally, Rosbot doesn't give Wilts any chance to win as the game ended 3-1. Then let's go back, uh, let's go a bit down in the second tier of Luxembourg. We've got one top game with, between Bergen and Hostad. And it's Bergen who won the game uh, and Hostad who got their first defeat of the season and as the game ended 3-2. Bang remain leader and also are the surprise of the season as they came as an uh, like um, promoted team and yeah. played the third division last season. Then we've got one like, do you smell it? A comeback of one of our favorite teams. Let's let's applause. Eglor Dalheim, Dalheim who brilliant. took Clef John just to give you some context here we spoke about we Anthony will always pick up a few random results from the lower leagues and Dalheim basically went a couple of seasons ago um, where they hadn't won a game and then finally Matt Anthony bowls in and is like yeah yeah they actually won this weekend and we're like come on the boys and then it turned out they'd played a load of boys who weren't registered for them so <laughs> they got the points taken off them so but on you go sorry uh, Anthony but this season looks kind of better because they they just defeated Clef 7-0 happy days I don't know what on the boys doing something right down there good to see good to see uh, before I move uh, to um, the women's international game, because there was also foot some football played, uh, let's take a look at uh, Anthony Maurice, who played uh, the first game in the Europa League with Union saint gilloise uh, They took Toulouse at home and only drew 1-1, our national number one in goal, conceded only one goal from the penalty spot. So it was a bit better than the last outing, but yeah, go on. Pretty decent game. Then, on the first match of the Women's Nations League, Luxembourg take Lithuania away and were, if you look at the official FIFA ranking, the better team on the paper. But they weren't only the better team on the paper because two early goals from, of course, Amy, Amy Thompson, Thompson yeah. 
And Marta Esteves from the penalty spot helped the team to grab the first three points in this campaign. The Red... Do you know Lionesses? Like yeah, Lionesses. Yeah, yeah. Were the dominant team in the first half but got dominated after halftime. But it was enough to take the W. Next opponent is Georgia against who they're going to play on Tuesday. And if the information on FUPA are right, it's going to play... It's going to be played in Ash in the start, Emil Myrish. Then let's take one quick look on the Bijalek table because I forgot to mention it. We've got on the first place Defenos with 15 points and not a single loss. Behind we've got Nidakorn with 14 points. Hesperons on the third with 13. Then Monorish also with 13. Then on the fifth we've got Jeunesse. Then the two promoted teams Schifflange and Mersch. On the eighth we got Strassen. On the ninth surprisingly Dudelange will still have kind of big problems this season to be on top of the table because they've also conceded already 12 goals in 7 games which is not a good result for them on the 10th we've got Rosbo followed by Petange and Mondorf and then on the relegation playoffs we've got Wilts and Racing and the relegation places we've got the two usuals we already saw last season Fola Esch and UN Kerging that's it for today the football wrap up or if somebody has some questions I can answer that. No, not at all, Anthony. Thank you, as always. Great to keep us up to speed. It's interesting to hear the two teams, you know, Hesper and uh, and Doodlons, you know, who are both on the cusp of qualifying for the group stages of European European football. And it seems like we've got a bit of a hangover in there, uh, you know, because the two of them were the dominant teams last, uh, last season in the BGL League. But they both seem to be... Um, Really struggling, uh, John. This is never long enough when we when we get you on. There's so many bits we could uh, go into. Thanks a lot for joining us, and we'll definitely get you uh, get you on again for part two. Same to yourself, Anthony. Um, as always, we give a huge shout out to the army of volunteers out there who make our sporting world tick. Whether it's from washing kit, marking the pitches, driving the kids to training, or coaching the kids, whatever it is, keep doing what you're doing. As long as we can get these youngsters active, that is a good thing moving forward. You can check out the Sam Steen show from six a.m. Uh, tomorrow you've also got Stephen Steps low with his lunchbox at 12 o'clock and then you've got the home stretch with Melissa Dalton from 3 till 6 don't forget Dave Burrows and his DB3 sessions and you've also got Sarah Tapp with her hangover show until then it is Chur Chur Let's Talk Sport with Scott Brown and Nathan Snade